passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Is anybody here uh, stressed out a little bit? Anybody? Just be honest. Yeah, I, I, most hands should go up. Anybody actually found themselves, maybe uh, couldn't sleep through the night this past week, thinking about the future and all the stuff you had to do and all the problems in the world got you up in the middle of the night? Just me? Uh, no, I think all, yeah, thank you, Paul. I know I always have some help from Paul. At least he'll be honest and tell me the truth. Well, the truth is that we uh, live in a very stress-filled world. And especially in this pandemic, we are in a very stress-filled time. And so what I did is I started to look online just to understand how much stress is out there. And I ran across some stress statistics. And I thought I'd begin by sharing those with you. The statistics I ran across said that 70% of the Americans out there are displaying physical symptoms of stress in their life. What do physical symptoms look like? Rapid heart rate loss of appetite, chest pain, body aches. You know that tight neck when you go home and you're just like, ah, oh, I'm stressed. A lot of people are there. 73% of Americans are experiencing psychological signs of stress. What do those kind of things include? Anxiety, depression, moodiness, Outbursts of anger, that's where you come home and you're short with your wife and you kick the dog because work was so difficult. Anybody else at least kiss, kick the dog? Yeah, well, there's a lot of psychological stress that's going on. And then as I finished reading these statistics, I realized that they were all compiled before COVID actually came on our society. What's happened since then? Stress has gone through the roof. And so I began looking. So how, much, how can I find how much stress has increased since the pandemic began? And I found an interesting way to illustrate this. It was actually an article by a dentist. He came from Iowa, incidentally. He talked about what he usually ends up treating. He had a completely full dental practice, and he said on average he would treat one cracked tooth a day before the pandemic. But since the pandemic, even though he has far less patients, he's treating two to five cracked teeth a day. And you say, so what does that matter? And then he went on to explain that under times of stress, that what we do as people is we, during the night, we tend to grind our teeth and we tend to break our teeth. He says, the amount of cracked teeth that I'm seeing right now shows me that we are very stress-filled people. You may not have broken your teeth yet, but I'm sure you probably are grinding them at night under the stress that we all face. Stress is hard on people physically. Stress is hard on people psychologically. But I have to tell you, unfortunately, in our sin-filled world, there is no way to escape stress. Life is going to be difficult, even with or without a, the pandemic. So the question becomes, what does the Bible say about how we should handle stress? 
What does the Bible say about how we can live a life faithful to Jesus in a very difficult and stress-filled time? Those are the questions that we're going to be answering this morning. And by the way, I think they're very appropriate questions for us to answer, especially in the season of life that we find ourselves today. As a church, we have been studying our way through the Gospel of Mark. And as you know, we are in the final week of Jesus' life. We are not just in the final week of his life. Right now, we're down to the final hours of Jesus' life. In the last two weeks, we looked at the upper room discourse in Mark. In Mark chapter 14, where Jesus has now, last week, officially finished the Passover meal with his disciples. And what we're going to find is that Jesus has now left the room with his disciples. Judas has already left to betray Jesus. And Jesus is taking a little late-night walk with his disciples, and we are about two, maybe four hours away from Judas betraying him and the end of Jesus' life starting to take place. Now, I have a question for you. How much stress do you think Jesus is facing at this moment? Huge amounts of stress. Hours until the torture that takes his life begins. This is an especially appropriate passage today to look at to help us understand what stress is like and how to properly handle it. So what I'd like you to do, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 32 through 42. Why you are turning there, I want to jump over to the book of Isaiah and just talk briefly about Jesus as you're finding your spot. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The New Testament, incidentally, doesn't talk about Jesus' happiness. It doesn't talk about Jesus laughing. That doesn't mean Jesus was never happy or that he, that he didn't laugh. Just the Bible does not address that and talk about that. But repeatedly, the Bible talks about his acquaintance with sorrow, his acquaintance with grief and pain in life. You remember how Jesus would feel when he would see a crowd? He would look at them and he was filled with compassion, like sheep without a shepherd. He cared about them. You see, for you and I, we can experience our pain, but when we see someone else in pain, there's sort of a limit to the amount of empathy that we experience for them. But for Jesus, he actually felt their pain. He cared about other people far more than we ever possibly could. It wasn't just the crowds, but remember what happened with Mary and Martha when Lazarus died? Jesus came to Mary and Martha, and they were weeping. And what does Jesus do? Shortest verse in the Bible, easiest one to memorize, two words. What was it? Jesus wept. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still felt and experienced their pain. So while Jesus is acquainted with grief and sorrows, and he feels other people's pain in ways and depths that you and I can't, None of that can begin to touch the amount of stress 
mental anxiety and pain that Jesus is going to experience in the passage we are going to study before us. This passage will tell us that Jesus is so stressed, facing so much mental anxiety, that he almost literally dies from this stress. That he is so stressed that when he is praying, that he is praying with loud cries, with agony in his voice. When he is praying, he is sweating, not just sweat, he is sweating blood because of the stress that he faces in his life in this moment. I would go so far as to say, there is no other being in the entire universe that has experienced more stress or did experience more stress than Jesus Christ in this moment. So when you wonder if Jesus understands stress and anxiety and worry about the future, the answer is yes. This passage shows that, shows that to us in spades. So hopefully you have that passage by now. I want you to stand out of reverence for God's word. Follow along with your eyes in your copy of God's word as I read verses 32 through 42 of the 14th chapter of Mark. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and, and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a, a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That ends the reading of the Word of God. You can be seated. We're going to break this passage apart under three simple headings. First of all, we're going to look at how Jesus shows us the right way to handle stress, trials, and temptations in life. And then how the disciples show us the wrong way to handle the stress, trials, and temptations of life. And lastly, we'll come back and say, what are the practical lessons we learn about this that we can take into our life? For this week. So if you have your outlines, let's look at right on the top here. Jesus shows us the right way to handle stress, trials, and temptations. Beginning in verse 32. 
and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. The first thing to realize is the term Gethsemane, or the name Gethsemane, literally means olive oil press. That'll be helpful to know. Just tuck that away in your mind for a moment as we continue the study. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus left the Last Supper. Then he took his disciples through what is known as the Kidron Valley. They waded through the, the Kidron Brook. And then he began to go up what is called the Mount of Olives. And there they stopped at a garden. Let's go ahead and put that map up. This will help you picture what's happening. I think the map is coming. There it is. Okay, you can see where the city is on the left side. Then there's the Kidron Valley right down there. There is a brook that runs through there where they waited. And then you can see I have circled uh, next to the arrow Gethsemane. That's the uh, area of the garden we're going to talk about in this passage. But if you go a little higher, you can see Bethpage and Bethany. So what you have is it's, a, it's the Mount of Olives. They're climbing a mountain, and on the bottom area of this mountain is this garden. And I point this out. Let me, let me go ahead and show you how I know this from the Gospel of John. John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, and there was a garden sort of on the bottom of the Mount of Olives, which he and his disciples entered. Now, you can see, if you, I guess you could have seen in that map, uh, Jesus would leave Jerusalem at night. We know that he would go up to the area of Bethany and Bethpage, that area to, to sleep during the night. And you can see that he would have passed by this garden or passed through this garden on the way to get there as he climbed the Mount of Olives. So he was very familiar with this place, and it actually probably frequented this place. We can find that, uh, by the way, in Luke chapter 21, 31, 37 through 38. Every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So while John calls this area that he goes to a, a garden, we know, as I said, it's an olive garden. And we know that because it's called Gethsemane, which means olive oil press. So it's not a vegetable garden. It's an olive garden garden. And if you name your place Olive Oil Press, it's a big olive garden. Now, what does an olive garden look like? You say, okay, let me show you. I have a, a picture of that. This is what it would look like. This is actually from the area of Jerusalem. They have trees, and you can see they've been pruned, sort of like our bushes were yesterday, incidentally. Um, and this is where you'd have walking paths in an olive oil garden. Um, so Jesus has stopped there with his disciples. Probably he has gone there on multiple evenings to pray on his way back to the Mount of Olives, on his way back to Bethany where he slept, and he's had his disciples with them. 
This is why when we go to John 18, verse 2, it says this about Judas. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. This is the typical place he would stop with his disciples on the return trip to going out of town. Now as we look at the other verses of Scripture, we find that Jesus gets to this olive oil garden. He takes eight of his disciples. He stops them at the gate. He says, I want you to stay here, and I want you to pray. Luke chapter 22, verse 40, tells us that he gives them the instructions that they should be praying this night, that they would not fall into temptation this night. And that prayer is going to be a very important thing for them to be able to successfully survive what's about to come. Now let me just pause and jump off and just talk about this topic of prayer. Jesus has talked multiple times to his disciples throughout his ministry about the importance of prayer, especially when it comes to facing the times of stress, trials, and anxiety of everyday life. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Remember the one line in there? And what are we to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, always be praying that way, guys. You're going to need to learn to rely not just on your strength in times of stress and anxiety, but to learn to call on God and rely on His strength in times of stress and anxiety. Which, by the way, is not just true for the disciples. Is it also true for you and me? If we're going to successfully face times of trials, anxiety, stress, and temptation, the only way to successfully make it through is to pray and ask for God's strength and God's power to make it through. The story continues. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So while he leaves some of the disciples at the gate and tells them to pray, he takes Peter, James, and John with him deeper into the garden. Now, why did he choose those guys? What would be the mission of this? Well, one thing we know is Peter, James, and John are sort of the leaders in the disciples. So they would normally accompany Jesus into uh, training or experiences that were more intimate. But not only that, Peter, James, and John uh, all had a little problem. Do you remember what it was? Maybe a little self-absorbed, uh, a little proud, a, a little cocky. Think of themselves as stronger and better than they actually are. John, or Mark chapter 10. Remember James and John came with their mother to Jesus and said, we want to sit at your left hand and your right hand when, we come into, when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to them? Well, that's not for me to decide, but do you think you can drink the cup that I am about to drink? Do you think you can endure what I'm going to be about to endure? And what were they like? Sure, bring it on, Jesus. <laughs> They're going to fail miserably. <laughs> they can't even stay awake to pray for Jesus. What about Peter just before this? Mark chapter 14. Yeah, exactly. Well, 
you know, I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. I will die for you, Jesus. <laughs> it's going to fail miserably three times before dawn. Here he needs to realize he failed miserably again. He couldn't even stay awake and pray. But what's very important is they're going to have to be close to Jesus when Jesus prays. Because it's going to be a contrast between their complete inability to be faithful and Jesus' total ability to be faithful. Now let's continue to look here. Jesus, it says, that he goes deeper into the garden with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus is greatly distressed. This is what's called a hopox legomena in Greek, or Greek, which means it's a word that's used only once. This is the only time it's used, and it's used here in, Mon in Mark. Greatly distressed means to become intensely emotional. You know what that's like, right, guys? When someone gets intensely emotional, that's Jesus right now. Jesus is literally losing it. He is going to pieces with anxiety about the cross. Mark says he is so emotionally overwhelmed at this point, he is almost ready to die. The other Gospels tell us a little bit more about what's going on because Mark is usually very terse. The other Gospels bring out some other additional color here. Luke twenty-two forty-one, And he withdrew with them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. So when Jesus drops off Peter, James, and John and has them pray, he's only going to go really a few short feet, you know, a stone's throw in front of them. That is very important to, under, to understand and remember as we continue to see what happens with Jesus as he's in this totally emotional state. Verse 35, And going a little farther, Mark says, which Luke calls only a stone's throw, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. I like the way Mark says, he's so emotional he just collapses and falls to the ground. Please, Father, anything to avoid this cross. Luke says it this way. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's emotion. Jesus is in agony thinking about, anticipating what is going to happen to him on the cross. It is emotionally killing him. And it's being physically displayed in his body. There's a condition called hematridosis. I can picture it, the wording. I don't always pronounce it. It's a medical condition that when a body is under extreme physical stress, the capillaries in the skin will begin to burst and people will begin to sweat drops of blood. Jesus is not just bursting a few capillaries in his skin. They are bursting all over the place in his skin. Luke describes it as great drops of blood. Not little drops of blood. 
Jesus is on the very edge of literally dying from the stress and anxiety of what will be happening to him on the cross. In fact, Luke says this, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. You know that he's stressed out when God has to send an angel to strengthen him to make it through this time. I mean, Jesus, at this point, could have died even before he goes to the cross of the stress and anxiety and the emotionally overwhelmingness of the cross, even before he gets there. And I would say that Jesus, at this point, is experiencing more stress and anxiety about the future than probably any other human being has ever experienced in the way of stress and anxiety about their future. So the question becomes, what is stressing Jesus out so much? What does he see that the disciples are completely oblivious to in this moment? Does he see the betrayal of the disciples and that's what's really breaking his heart? Is it the agony of dying on a Roman cross, which is one of the most brutal deaths known to man? That's not it. This is what I believe it is, and I think it's pretty clear. Jesus is the one who is perfect and pure. He has never, ever known sin. But in the next few hours, Jesus will become sin. Like a sponge, he will soak up all of the sin of the pornographer, the murderer, the killer, the dry addict, the liar. He will go from becoming the most holy being in the universe to bearing all of the sin in the universe. Could you imagine what that would be like as an experience for Jesus? To become sin for us? And then to endure all of his heavenly Father's wrath for all of sin, he will endure in time an eternity of wrath that you and I would have to experience for all of time. If that doesn't stress you out, I don't know what would. I mean, that's stressful. And now you say, well, but Jesus is God. Oh, come on, isn't it easy? Can't God do anything? Can't he just say, well, sure, I'm going to die for sin. Let's go for it. That's true, Jesus is God, but you don't tend to forget, but Jesus is 100% God, but he's also what? 100% man, just like you and me. If you knew that you were going to die in the next three hours, would you be stressed out? If you knew that you were going to die one of the most brutal deaths known to man, explicitly created to make your death as long and difficult and painful as possible. Would you be stressed out? If you knew that when you died, not just the most brutal death known to man, you would soak up all of the sin of God's people. And that your heavenly Father would display with laser-like focus all of his wrath against sin on you. Would you be stressed out? I think you would be. I would be. 
Jesus is going through that kind of stress. It's so incredibly difficult for him. And here is the challenge that is going on for Jesus. In his human will, everything wants to resist death and suffering. But he knows it's his heavenly Father's will that he will embrace death and suffering. And so there's this conflict going back and forth between the two. Will I do what my human will wants, which is the path of least resistance? Or will I do what my heavenly Father wants, which is the path of greatest resistance ever? But I know it's what he wants me to do, to save you and me. That's the battle that's going on in his mind. It's a real battle, by the way. Now here's the million dollar question. How does Jesus win the battle? How does Jesus successfully face anxiety, stress, trials, and temptations? One simple word. Prayer. He gives himself to prayer this night, constantly seeking his heavenly Father. Mark uh, gives us a sort of a cliff note version of his prayer. I'm sure it was more than this since it lasted several hours, going back and forth wrestling with God. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. That's my will. Yet not what I will, but you will be done. Isn't this illustrative to how we should pray? Jesus on the one side simply tells God, my will. My will is that you would take this cup away. I don't want to die. This is not going to be fun. It's difficult. It's going to be more pain than anyone's experienced in the universe. But more important to me than my will is that I would do your will, Heavenly Father. And so I submit to that. Now you take and form your will into my heart. So I want to do that because normally I don't. And my friends, this is the way that it needs to go for us as well. You and I have what we know as our will, and our desires in life. Often they are to be rich, happy, and famous, and that everything goes exceedingly well for us. True? And then there's God's desires for our life, which we often know are not easy, often involve great sacrifice, sometimes involve suffering. If you're a teenager and you know what God's will is for your life, you know sometimes that means that obeying God's will means that your friends are going to laugh at you. Your friends are going to mock you. And so you, just like Jesus, have this battle going back and forth. Am I going to do what I want to do or am I going to do what Jesus wants me to do? And what is the answer to making through that trial successfully? Going to God in prayer, just like Jesus did in this moment. Here's what happens when we pray. Not only will Jesus find God's strength to handle the cross, but when we pray, God takes our will and he works back in us and he forms our will into his will. Did you realize that? I'll say it again. 
when we pray, especially when there's a battle between what we want to do and we know what God wants us to do, God will form our will into His will for us. He gives us the desire to do things right. I'll give you an example of that. Have you ever prayed? As you've gone to prayer, you're not too sure what to do, but in prayer, all of a sudden, God has made it clear what you should do. Because God changes your will to be His will. Have you ever prayed, and as you're praying, all of a sudden, God brings to mind a sin that's been floating around your life for a while that you haven't confessed, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is writing on your heart, hey, I need to make this right, because God is forming your will into His will. Have you ever been in a difficult marriage you know the right thing to do with loving your spouse, and you just struggle back and forth with it. But as you go to prayer, what does God do? He reminds you about the importance of you being gentle, of you being kind, of you being forgiving like he has been forgiving of you. And he's forming your will into his will for you. That's the way it works. Well, if Jesus needed to pray, so that his will would be brought in line with his heavenly Father's will, so that he would go after the cross rather than run from the cross, how much more do we need to pray so that our will would be brought in line with our heavenly Father's will, so we don't run from the times that are difficult and hard? Jesus told the disciples this night that's what they needed to do, to go to their heavenly Father in prayer and ask him to change their hearts to be in will and in line with God's heart. Yet as we see, rather than praying, what did they do? They slept. And they missed this opportunity. That brings us to the other side. The disciples show us the wrong way to handle stress, trials, and temptation. And he came to them and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, here's what I thought was so interesting. Peter, James, and John were how far away from Jesus? A stone's throw. What was it like when Jesus was praying? Loud cries of agony. They can hear Jesus' prayers. And when Jesus eventually comes to them, they can see his face and his body drenched in blood. Yet what are they doing? Well, in some ways, it's understandable. It's a late night. It's after midnight. It's past their bedtime. We learned in previous weeks they just had a big meal. Remember that? The, the Passover meal? They've got a full tummy. They have a food coma. So in one way, it's understandable. But Jesus said that right now, guys, prayer is more important than your sleep. You need prayer more than you need sleep. Let's look at, uh, by the way, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. I talked to you about the, the loud cries of Jesus. You wonder, where does it say that? Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. What's that talking about? Garden of Gethsemane. And he was heard because of his reverence. 
Jesus is crying in agony, wailing. He's calling out to God, take this cup from me. And feet away are Peter, James, and John going. Now, I would normally think if there's somebody you love and they are in agony, complete stress in front of you, wouldn't that get you awake? Wouldn't you run over and say, hey, I want to be there for you and help you? Many of us say, if we were in Peter, James, and John's place, we would never have reacted that way. And to be honest, I don't think that's true. I think we would have failed just like they did. The lateness of the hour, the fullness of the tummy. We probably would have fallen asleep. But here's what I love about Jesus. They fall asleep. But three times, what does Jesus do? He runs over to them. Guys, get up, get up. You need to pray right now. You need prayer more than you need sleep right now. And he goes back and prays. They fall asleep and he runs back again three times. Jesus has got enough problems right now to, to worry about on his own. But isn't he still caring for the very disciples who are failing him again and again? Folks, we're no different than those disciples. We fail Jesus again and again. No matter what is going on in God's world, no matter how stressed out Jesus is, he's not just focused on his own life. He genuinely cares about your life and my life. And he's willing to intercede for us. Jesus is never, ever self-absorbed. He cares about you and he cares about me. Jesus also says here to them, he says, by the way, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know you guys are tired. But then does Jesus say, so take a good night's rest and we'll talk about this in the morning? No. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. But you guys need prayer right now. You need prayer more than you need sleep. There are times when prayer is more important than sleep. Because the only way, not just the disciples, not just Jesus, but you and me can successfully face stress, anxiety, trials, and temptation is by going to God in prayer asking for God's strength for those times and asking God to bring our will in line with his will in those times. And if we don't do that, I guarantee you we will fail miserably just like the disciples are about to do. Because prayer, my friends, is more important than sleep. Let's read the rest of the text. And after he went again, away again and prayed and saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time to them and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus looks down the hill and he sees Jesus, or Judas rather, coming up the hill. And we'll give you a little preview for next week. Jesus is not alone. 
Judas has Roman soldiers with him. He has temple guards with him. He has priests with him. Uh, some estimates are there's between 600 to 1,000 people with him. They're carrying torches. They're carrying clubs. They're carrying swords. Jesus can see these are the people that are going to begin to torture me. And rather than running away from them, he leads the way to them. When he started in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was, please let this hour pass from me, not the cross. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. During that time in prayer, Jesus' will became his Father's will. So he didn't recoil from the cross, but he actually led the way to the cross. Folks, it was that prayer time that made Jesus successful as he went into the cross. The only way we are going to be successful in the midst of trials, temptations, and anxiety and stress in our life is by constant prayer, seeking God, asking him to form our will into his will for this life. Now let me just go ahead and give you some practical lessons here. I'll go through these quickly. When we pray, we should tell God what we want, but more important is surrendering ourselves to God's will for our life. That's what we learn from Jesus. He told his father what he wanted, but he surrendered his will to his father's will. Number two, prayer is the only way to successfully face stress, trials, and temptations in life. That's very clear. And number three, there are times when prayer, my friends, is more important than our sleep. So how do we apply this? Here's some things for you. Give up sleep this week in order to make time for prayer. Prayer doesn't just happen. We need to fight to make time for prayer. There are times in life when prayer is more important than sleep, and this is one of them. Number two, find a way to stay focused in prayer instead of drifting to sleep in prayer. Here's some suggestions. Try a prayer walk. It's hard to walk or sleep when you're walking. Try a prayer journal. It's hard to sleep when you're writing. Try to pray out loud your prayers. It's hard to sleep when you're talking. And number three, find a group that will pray with you, such as a life group. Join a life group. Being part of a group that prays together will help us find the discipline, time, and focus we desire for the time in prayer that we so desperately need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to confess our lack of prayer in our lives. So often, we are trying to live the Christian life on our own strength. So often, we are seeking our will as the most important thing in our life, rather than your will as the most important thing in our life. I ask that we would take away from Jesus' time in Gethsemane the absolute importance and priority of prayer. Where we tell you what we want, but we ask you to form our hearts into what you want so we would walk obediently and faithfully to you. I ask that this week you would help us to make changes in our habits, changes in what we do, so we actually not just hear these words, but we apply them and we make time for prayer this week. And I ask that you would form our hearts, 
transform our lives into what is pleasing to you, turning us away from trials and temptations that can so easily beset us along the way. We know there's times when prayer is even more important than sleep. We ask this in your name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.